All right, guys, welcome to this podcast called Why I Do This. Uh, it's a show essentially where we focus everyday people who are so inspirational because they've gone on to pursue their passions and hobbies. And today we have with us Laura. Uh, Laura is our wine expert. First of all, welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you. I think it's uh, you know I think it's safe to say that you're all in on wine yep. because you're a wine consultant, a wine writer. You do wine experiences. You have a wine club, and you have a wine conference. Right, so <laughs> so I think I think it's pretty safe to say that you're kind of all in on doing on, on wine in general. Casual. Ca- casual wine. <laughs> yeah, let's say that. All of those things sound very casual. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's pretty amazing. So you know, let's start off with that, right? Like, like what sort of got you sort of interested in wines? Like, like what was it? Um. Well, so my mom is German, and my dad is um, just you know thoroughbred Canadian but there was always this sort of like European influence in our home and they always had wine on the table and even when we were my sister and I were very young children they always encouraged us to taste wine Um, and then we ended up moving to the Okanagan from Toronto when I was about 14 and we moved in right next door to a vineyard and so I joke that this sort of passion and obsession with wine came by way of osmosis. It just sort of like got ingrained in me through all these different facets of my life. And um, I went on to university, I got a BA in international relations, did a couple years in oil and gas, and then I was like, ugh, it's just not serving me. I, I remember being in this like gray cubicle sitting under fluorescent lights and I had a panic attack. And I was like, this can't be my life. And so, At the time, I was actually doing wine tasting experiences just for my friends, just as parties. And I mean, it would be hilarious to go back and like be a fly on the wall and like see the (laughs) wines that I was pouring. It was probably like Yellowtail or something. (laughs) Um, But then I enrolled in um, the Wine and Spirit Education Trust. That's the certification that I have. And um, I met all these people that were working in like myriad positions, like sommeliers and wine reps and all that stuff. And I'm like, oh, I can do this as like a, you know, a career. So I worked as a wine rep for a number of different agencies and I just, it was just like failure after failure after failure. I just, I, I got fired from every single one. Oh wow. Yeah, I've been, I'm one of those stories. I'm like, I've been fired like 10 times in my life. Wow. I make a shit employee. <laughs> and so that's when I was like, okay, I think I need to be an entrepreneur. Nice. Um, and that's when I started doing um, private wine tastings. And this was in Calgary at the time. And I built this business literally doing private tastings for stagettes. Wow. So they would hire me to come in and I'd bring all the wine and then I would partner with like pole dancers and like, it was just hilarious. Like how oh I- Oh my God, that's business. amazing. <laughs> that's and then amazing. Yeah. it's really funny like going down memory lane. And then I ended up splitting up with my ex, moving back to the Okanagan. And then I was like, I want to see behind the scenes because Mm -hmm. all of my knowledge had come from books and just tasting wine. And I was like, I want to see production. So then I managed a couple wineries again, got fired from like three different jobs. Wow. And uh, I would never admit this like a year ago, but now I'm like, what have I got to lose? (laughs) Um, And I remember the, the, the third winery I was managing. And like, I have great relationships with them all now. They're all very supportive of all of my endeavors, but I booked an emergency session with my therapist. I was like, I just got fired from another job. Like, what's wrong with me? Diagnose me with something. <laughs> Give me some pills. Tell me what it is. Yeah. yeah. She's like, just go be an entrepreneur. Yes. Do what you're good at. And I was like, oh, okay. And that's what I did. And so that was like 
three years ago. And so I went back to the consulting thing again, um, picked up a couple uh, writing columns because that was something that I'd been wanting right. to get into. I've had a wine blog for like a million years. Um, and then my partner and I kind of made the decision like, okay, we need to sort of venture out beyond the Okanagan, moved back to Toronto. Mm -hmm. And then that's when my business really flourished. And so throughout that, 2019 was a huge year for me. We went to India for two months. Amazing. I went to Slovenia and Northern Italy on this um, natural wine trip, which totally like changed my world. Um, and it was already kind of like concurrently, the wheels were turning that there was this certain category of wine that I was really interested in. Started the wine conference, started the wine club. Like I was just like, let's do it all. Yeah. And then being in Toronto, um, we're relatively close to like Niagara and the county yeah. and everything, but like not a lot of people want to like rent the car and spend the money. So I'm offering people sort of a little mini experience in the city. Yeah. Um, to taste not only Ontario wine, but wines from all over Canada. And then of course, with a pretty heavy focus on BC, cause that's my first love. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how I started doing it. And I inevitably always come back to doing these events and pop-ups and tastings and experiences in spite of this push-pull internally that I want to get away from it. Cause my first love is travel and I want to be able to like work remotely, but I love connecting with people and sharing with them and like expanding their horizons and every time that I do these things and like you'll see when you yeah. taste the wines when we do one um people are always just shocked like oh I didn't know wine could taste like this wow and that's like such a win for me every time that I can just get them away from the mass-produced plonk that you get at the LCBO it's or <laughs> your corner your corner liquor store so yeah amazing that, that sounds like a phenomenal story right and let's get into like each aspect of this right so so let's say you said you went to school to kind of study wine yeah right so, so like, like what is that like do you like what is your experience like do you think like somebody if somebody's aspiring to do this that they need to go to school or do you think it's one of those things that you kind of just try and sort of do on your own so my opinion on school has changed and that has a lot to do with um, the whole political climate of 2020. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it's really great to build a foundation. So yes, I would always advise get a degree just so that you can be equipped in how to think critically. And so I found that with the um, education that I did with the wine tasting, uh, or wine spirit education trust. It was really great because like I learned how to like approach tasting wine systematically. Right. Um, I learned the very basics, like the classical regions and everything. But then from there, I've gone on to expand my knowledge that's more suitable to the category of wine that I'm really interested in. Build a foundation for yourself. And I have friends who are winemakers who say the same thing. They're like, build the foundation, understand the science, if only to defend your position. Got it. That makes sense. So, so to get to, to be known as a Somalier, like, is it that you need to have certain credentials from like a university or something like that? Or is it something that you can just, you know, you can call yourself that after Yeah, a so while? there's a couple different institutions. So there's like the one that I did, WSET, um, Wine and Spirit Education Trust. Um, and that's more of like a macro look at like the global world of wine. Right. And then there's um, the International Somalier Guild and then other sort of like um, uh, incarnations of that. And that's more focused on hospitality. So Got working it. as a wine steward in a restaurant, managing an inventory or a uh, cellar. So I don't call myself a sommelier because I don't really work as one. Right. Um, and then there's plenty of people that I know who've been in the industry for like 30 years and they have no 
whatever credentials, but they're some of the most knowledgeable people that I've ever met. It's like book knowledge versus street smarts. Yeah. It's like I'm kind of somewhere in between, and uh, I w- it was indoctrinated in me from such a young age because my dad has a PhD in microbiology, so he's like oh, wow. a staunch supporter of education. <laughs> and now I'm like, yeah, I don't think I really need it. Like I've just after having done this for so long, it's like, wow, I've acquired a lot of knowledge, yes. most of which did not come from a degree. Yes. So. I find a lot of people find that, yeah. right? Like I think real world experience sort of trumps book knowledge. Exactly. Like any day, right? Which is which is interesting. Yeah, but it comes with time, right? It is, yeah, it takes time. That's what it is, right? To a lot of people kind of want it, like, like now, I want yeah. to become like a wine expert, like today. Like, what course do I do to become a wine expert, right? right. But I mean, it doesn't work that way, no. right? So that's, no. it's kind of funny. Then you also mentioned that, you know, you were doing all of these different jobs, you know, you were working as, uh, you know, Somali at a restaurant, you were doing, uh, you were writing about wine. Like, what was that experience like? And then did you not like it? Like, like what was the, what was the differences that you had, you thought? Um, what I didn't like um, was the dishonesty. Okay. So we were in a, in a yeah, in every single winery that I worked at, um, we were actually encouraged and trained to lie to the okay. consumer. What do you and, mean by that? Um, well, so that so like say a typical bottle of wine that you might buy at the liquor store, a mass-produced example like Apothic or Yellowtail mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, there's going to be um, upwards of, I mean, permitted seventy some additives, anywhere from sugar to acid to um, enzymes, binders, uh, pea protein, icing glass, like, I mean, the list goes on to like, not all wine is vegan. People don't really filter or fine with um, animal products anymore, but some still do traditionally. Right. Um, and just, there's all these like manipulations that happen. Like it's, it's literally like wine is a product that's been like molded to be very homogenous and presentable. Right. And so that's, that, that goes back to that whole, like, I want to see what goes on behind the scenes. And like, and I did. And I remember like asking the winemaker at this one winery I worked at, cause I was just had this inherent curiosity. And she was like, oh, but you can't tell the consumer this. Oh, you can't tell the consumer this. Like they were like reverse osmosis. They were using reverse all osmosis. Right. So like literally like taking the wine apart into all its components, taking away what they didn't want and then putting it back together. Okay, wow. But you can't tell the you consumer that. Oh, right. And I, so I'm just like, that's really mm. dishonest. And then so that I went on to work at another winery and it was even worse. They didn't even know half the time where the fruit came from, how it was fermented, like the wow. list goes on. And so I remember the GM telling me, he was like, just make shit up, doesn't matter. It was all about image and like being the cool winery and like, it was like a party atmosphere. And I just, the longer I was there, the more I just pushed back. I was like, this isn't okay. Right. Like, I mean, we live in such a superficial world as it is. Like, why are we contributing to this? And not only have the wine tasted like garbage. So <laughs> it just barreled me into this category of wine that it's much more difficult to make it. But right. I just, it was this like, I don't know, internal battle where I was like, I can't do this. Right. I, I need to, I need to educate people appropriately. And I so, think it's really important to do this, right? Yeah. To like stand up for what's right. Yeah. Right? And not many people do it, right? Like people just kind of go with the flow, yeah. like, like big companies or like, you know, wineries, like anything, like people not always stand up to do the right things. And I think people who kind of stand up are the ones who sort of stand out in, in yeah. situations. Yeah. It's a bit, I mean, and it's become a really popular thing to do now. Like there's a number of other people who are doing what I'm doing as well. 
Um, and, but I think I, I also like exist within a vacuum and that outside of my world, the average person has no idea. Yes. So it's like, I feel like I'm doing this exemplary work that needs to be applauded, but I'm not saving <laughs> lives, right? So <laughs> the average be, person yeah. is really not aware of the reality. And so it's just my small little contribution. Cool. So is this what you were writing about in your, uh, let's say column? Uh, Sometimes, not always, like, I mean, when you're writing for, like, larger publications, you have to sort of, like, stay within a certain box. Like, I remember I wrote this one op-ed and my editor was like, yeah, we can't post this. This is too opinionated. Right. I was like, oh, so whenever I want to write something controversial, I just post it on my website. Got it. Because then I have the freedom to say, and I've always grappled with, like, being too outspoken and maybe just, like, being safe. But right. now I'm at the point where it's like, no, if I want to make waves, I have to be prepared to be yes. polarizing and probably be disliked by a lot of people yes. and I'm okay with that. That's cool. That's, that's really brave is what I think it is, right? And you're taking a stand, you're doing something on your own. So is this what sort of led to you going out and doing something on your own? This, yeah. all of this happening, these yeah. jobs not working out, yeah. right? So how did you take that step? Like, was it, was it hard? to do or was it like just natural just felt like the right thing um it was just time um and i was lucky that um i was in a position to be able to do so so like i had savings that right. allowed me to do that um and it, it was just like a slow build and then um i was talking with my uh, partner um from my wine club crushable <laughs> <laughs> plug in. <laughs> yeah. um, no, he'll be happier yeah. that I did that. He's always like, where's the call to action? <laughs> um, oh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, no, he said the best move for our business was you moving to Toronto because I felt like I was sort of playing in this small little pool and I was just only talking about Okanagan wine, which is right. literally a drop in the bucket. Like most people don't even know that it's a wine producing right. region. And so having moved here, it was like, it put us on a larger map, which has been really beneficial. And that was a whole goal. And I'm so glad that I did because it's just exposed me to a whole other world that I never would have been had right. I stayed. So this was the inspiration for you to come here, right? Like yeah. Toronto is like, like a bigger hub yeah, when you exactly. compare it, just pretty cool. Yeah. Like very cool. Mm -hmm. Awesome. <laughs> So, so these experiences, so let's say, you know, you've gone to this, this phase, now you decided to do something on your own. How did you sort of land on like these experiences and these taste things is sort of what I'm going to start off with as my business? Well, I always kind of wanted to get back into it when I was in BC, but I mean, I lived within five minutes of like 50 wineries. So I'm right. like, if people want to go wine tasting, they're going to go to wineries, right. right? So I didn't really see it being a plausible um, option. But then when I moved here, I was like, oh, I'm like, I could start doing the tastings again because that's why it was so successful for me in Calgary, right? right. Um, and then just searching for, so this is really funny. When I lived in Calgary, I used to advertise on Kijiji. Oh, wow. That's how I got my business. Okay. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's pretty amazing. It's scrappy so. and amazing. Yeah, that's what I think it is. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm beyond this now. <laughs> like, I, I can't. It just doesn't sit well with me, like, anymore. <laughs> and then so I was like, you know, I post on Instagram all the time, but like, I find that I don't get a lot of business through my experiences through social media. I can sell products really mm -hmm. well, yeah. but not, I don't, for whatever yeah. reason, it doesn't convert. It's very strange. Yeah. Um, so then I just came across Airbnb experiences and I remember in Kelowna I had wanted to enroll with them but they weren't set up yet. Right. 
So it just had light bulb moment. I'm like, oh, I bet you experiences are here in Toronto. They're like moderators yeah, yeah. or someone you said like you were gonna hire. She was like, this is a really hot category. And she helped me like promote my feed. Yes. And then it just blew up, blew up in like yeah. a month. Like I was doing it full time. I was like, whoa, like this is crazy. And I remember I went to a networking thing for experienced hosts and there were so many people that were doing it full time. Amazing. And with like thousands of reviews and just by doing that and talking to people and it was like, fine-tuning and tweaking and like feedback from people and it's like I was able to build like a five-star rating for myself and like most people that book through me now are like it's because of your reviews so I'm yes. like okay and it's like it's always funny when you like take that feedback you feel a little bit premeditated and kind of calculated yeah. almost manipulative yes. where you're like I'm doing this because I want a good review <laughs> but I mean it's a business right you gotta it do is you gotta do to what you paid. gotta do yeah so, it's yeah. amazing that you're doing this right so, so what, what are your experiences like? What was the typical like experience with you? Like what would people learn? Like what would people come for? Um, so it's very intimate. It's in my home. Yeah. We're in my home. Yeah. Um, and which was a little bit weird for me initially, like I was saying earlier, but um, the inspiration came from having traveled um, to these really small, tiny little natural wineries and like you're sitting at the kitchen table with the winemaker and there's something so endearing and charming about that. It's like, it's them. It's like, it's their like lifeline. So that was my inspiration for doing it. Yeah, there's that. So you really get a, like an idea of like who I am and what my inspirations are. And then um, it's not structured because I, I, I hate that. I hate when I go to seminars and it's like, you feel like you're in a classroom like an setting. Agenda. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. a PowerPoint. It's yeah. so boring. Yep. It's like, I want it to be interactive. Um, so it's really just storytelling. Mm. I tell a lot of stories and I noticed that like going back to the whole, like it takes a, life a lifetime to sort of become an expert. It's like, okay, this is a cumul cumulative um, kind of regurgitation of my last 15 years. And it's like, yes. okay, I've experienced some really cool stuff. And there's, I found um, a separation from like the average consumer and then like a winemaker mm -hmm. and people really revere winemakers. They yeah. see them as these like gods. gods and it's yeah. like, I have access to that. So it's like, I'm that sort of segue or that bridge. So I tell a lot of stories about winemakers. Um, I talk about like the history of Canada as a wine producing region, where we're at, how we're competing, how we're doing, where we're going. Um, and then I just pour a, kind of a nice cross section of producers that I, I think are producing really great quality wine. So. That's amazing. So mm -hmm. is this, was this also the inspiration then for your wine club? Like yeah. was it because like, I, I assume that the wines that you have in your wine club are not the ones that are typically available yeah, at an LCBO exactly. or something no, like that. No, never available in the LCBO. Right. Um, yeah, so what happened was oh, I moved to Toronto and um, I had been talking with this guy who had designed the wine labels of this winery that I really love. Mm -hmm. Little tiny producer called um, Echo Bay in Okanagan Falls and only like a thousand cases a year. Mm -hmm. And I loved the labels and so the winemaker Kelsey connected me to her graphic designer Adam and um, we kind of discovered that we had some mutual connections and so we had coffee when I arrived in Toronto and we just hit it off and we knew that we wanted to work together but we couldn't figure out how. Right. And initially it was like maybe we do an event or something and then we're like why don't we just start a wine club? And because I had naively wanted to have a better availability of BC wine here mm -hmm. but I mean I don't know how well, how well versed you are on the AGCO and how Ontario is structured but they make it extremely difficult to have representation of other provinces oh. it's very protectionist 
um, and archaic and it's really frustrating like they treat BC or other provinces like imports so anything from BC were it to be represented in the LCBO will be marked up 72 percent yeah it's it's so backwards so I'm like okay well I'm gonna, gonna skirt around the LCBO and I'm just gonna do a direct-to-consumer wine right club. and that's what a lot of people are doing now um, just because it's like you're prohibiting access right which defeats the purpose of well nationalism yeah really. exactly so yeah that was the whole goal and not to mention I get DMs constantly like, where should I stay when I go to wine country? Yeah. What winery should I visit? What would you suggest? Like I get it all the time and I, I love doing that, but like how can I monetize this? Yes. So that's that was the whole kind of genesis. Amazing, it. amazing. Yeah. So how's that How's that going with your wine club? Oh, it's, yeah. it's fantastic. Like, I mean, I'm impatient. Yeah. I'm like, I want, I want, yeah. I want, I want more growth, yeah. but I'm, I'm just, I'm being patient and um, learning a lot. Um, we actually had our biggest month like at the peak of quarantine was, was in April, which wow, was huge. Wow, amazing. And so we were like, okay, what did we do right here? Um, and just every feature we learned something. Yes. Um, and we're just fine tuning as we go. And so it'll be a year next month actually. Um, it's not as, I, I, we don't have as many subscribers as I'd like, but I know that we'll get there in time. For and sure. So, yeah. Yeah, these things just take time, you know. From all of the things that you've been saying, right, it seems like you have a very like growth-oriented mindset, right? You always sort of keep learning, getting feedback, sort of changing things up, and sort of making things better and better and better. Yeah. Right. So, which is which is really cool. Uh, is that is that sort of what led you to have a conference uh, for wine in that place? The idea to like share all that you've learned, or like what was the motivation yeah. behind it? Yeah. So that was. Um, it's so funny how things happen. I. Um, love to spark conversation on social media just through like all these online debates we were having like with other winemakers and whatnot I was like would you guys be open to like doing a panel or something like that and they were all like yeah that would be great so we did the first one at Okanagan College and we had nine winemakers from all over BC wow. and we we had three panels women in wine natural wine and then um, sensory differences from like the different areas in BC and it was just like sold out just really interesting conversation amazing feedback so we were just like so excited we're like hey like let's do this again so then we hosted a smaller one we wanted to do like a little salon so we did it we took it to Vancouver and again, uh, same thing, we had like, this time we wanted it to be like all local. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I know that's like a little bit of a redundant trope, like, oh, here we go, local, <laughs> sport local. But we only poured wines from Vancouver Island. And I think it just shocked people. They were like, wow. And so we, I wanted a mix of like sommeliers and winemakers mm -hmm. to sort of like insight debate and everything. And a number of the sommeliers that were on the panels had very, very poor representation of BC wines. And so it was like, well, why? Like you have this whole farm to table right. movement kind of thing. Um, so that went really well. And again, sold out event. And then we started getting approached. So we were approached by um, an association in Manitoba. They wanted us to bring the symposium there. Wow. We were gonna do one in Toronto. We were gonna do another one. So we were gonna be in like four cities in 2020 and then COVID hit. Oh man. So I was like, damn, like we were just on this high. And it was just like, Everything was funneling in so well. Yeah, exactly. So. so it seems like, you know, everything was going like really well, right? Like things were, conferences were going off, experiences were going really well, the wine clubs doing very well. And then suddenly like COVID hit, right? Yeah. So, so has that been material impact to you? 
Uh, how were you sort of dealing with that whole situation? Yeah, it was tough. Like I remember when everything just started like blowing up and we were like, oh shit, okay. Like my partner was laid off and then I was like, oh shit. And then everyone was implored to quarantine. Um, I had, at the time I had three different writing columns. They were all canceled in oh one day. God. Just due to a loss of marketing yeah. revenue. I was like, okay. And that was the one thing that I thought I was going to be able to mm -hmm. like rely on. Um, and then Airbnb shut down all the experiences. Yeah. I was like, ah! <laughs> um, and then of course we had to cancel all the conferences. And so I was freaked out. And I remember I called my parents. I was like, uh, and like, this was like before Serb and everything. Right. I was like, if I need to like borrow money from you. Yeah. Like, and then like, I got an earful from them. Um, but it forced me to really like focus on the wine club. And then, like I said, we had our biggest month in April and it just sort of, I don't know, I just like hunkered down and tried to think of like different ways that I could um, be creative in running my business. And yeah, I probably could have done a little bit more work like online and stuff, but I think the, the emotional stress yes. of everything, it was just like, ugh, I just, I didn't have it in me. So I was just ready to get back to like doing the experiences and stuff like that. Um, and so yeah, did anything like, did I have like a huge transformation like business-wise? Not really. I know that's probably not the answer. Yeah, you're no, for, no, no. That's it's totally okay, right? At this point in time, like you know, it's a tough situation. Like takes an emotional toll on so many people. Yeah. Like you just got to be okay with it, right? And many yeah. people just try to like push through it. But you know, sometimes you just got to like take a step back. Yeah. And be like, okay, you know, it's a tough situation. Nobody expected this. Uh, you just yeah. got to deal with it the way we deal with it. Yeah. Right. And, and I mean, it's like I'm one person, right? So I have yes. all these different like projects that I'm juggling and it's like I can I can only expend so much energy and I just try to I used to like really be hard on myself because I don't work a nine to five right right and I I feel so much guilt for like not getting up at 7 a.m. every day and it's like well that's not my life yep. you know like I work on evenings and weekends yeah. in a lot of cases right and my no day ever looks the same so it's like I, I've stopped buying into that mold yes. or that recipe and it's like okay I just do what works for me and not only that like this notion that we have to grind like 12 hours a day it's like you can be really productive yes. in like a matter of a few hours and like so that's try to that's what I try to like really remember as well and like yeah of course we can always work harder and yeah. everything like I mean, that yes. but it's work smarter not harder right yeah 100% so that's what I try to focus 100%. on 100% <laughs> So in the experiences that you've been doing and then you've sort of started these experiences again uh, right now, yeah. like what is it? What is the one thing that you think like people are sort of most surprised by or one thing that they just kind of don't know about when they come to this and they're like, ah, what is this? Like, is there, is there something like that? Yeah, I would say um, they, they aren't aware of how many provinces make wine. So um, I get asked that question like, oh, what would be a province I'd be so surprised is making wine? Um, like Nova Scotia or Quebec? Oh, wow. Um, and like really, really high caliber. Like uh, we have a feature coming up from a, a winery in Nova Scotia in the fall and they're, they are world renowned. Um, and they're also biodynamic, um, which is a very holistic way of farming. Um, and then I would just say the amount of manipulation and additives that are in wine um, where I'm letting people know like beyond just sulfites, right. that whole controversy. Um, there's a lot of shit that's in your wine that there's no legal disclosure required. So wow. there's there's a lot of um, nefarious kind of stuff that happens behind the scenes. Um, 
I've even heard people like literally putting fruit juice into their wine to like make it taste fruitier. Like just oh really, God. really messed up stuff like that where I'm like, that's so dishonest. Right. Um, and so it's not that I only drink one category specifically, it's, it's what I personally prefer. It's easier to drink, right. it, in often cases it's lower alcohol, it pairs better with food. Um, the argument is that you don't get as bad of a hangover, right. but I mean, if you're gonna drink a whole bunch, you're yeah. gonna get a hangover regardless. <laughs> um, but it's just, I don't know, I, I wanna put something into my body that I know has just sort of been like, let it, let it, let it do its thing. So yeah, there's a number of different things. And then also I would say probably, um, the stories about winemakers where mm -hmm. I think people have this image that they're very pompous and like put together and like wearing a suit yeah. and no, like, <laughs> they love to party and be up till the wee hours. Like one of the funniest stories I remember was when I was in Slovenia with this winemaker, his name is Janko Stekar, like rough and tumble guy, filthy head to toe. His wines were just like him, playful and comedic. And then we're up partying till two in the morning and he goes across to his buddy and comes back with like a bag of marijuana that his like neighbor had grown. And we all like smoke. And so whenever I tell this story, people are like, what? And like, I remember this one lady asked me, she's like, so do you like wine? Do wine people like, do you guys like get lit? And I was like, what? I was like, yes. Like, there's this misconception, oh you know, that like, were these like super pompous, yeah, pretentious, like put assholes. together people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like no, it's, it's the, it's the exact, exact opposite. That, that was an eye opener for me too. Like I thought, you know, all people who are in wine, you know, they're kind of like very sophisticated. Like, that's the kind of thing that you think about from the yeah. outside, right? But definitely doesn't seem to be true. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's just, and I mean, it's it's certain categories, right? Yeah. Like the the category that I'm into, it's. It's just these types of people that are very, very laid back mm -hmm. um, and they just don't take themselves too seriously. And yeah. so with that comes a lot of fun and humor and playfulness, yeah. you know, and I love it. That's, so. That's what life's about, right? Mm -hmm. Like having fun, like all business is all fun, but at the end of the day, man, you need to have fun doing yeah, what you're doing. Exactly. Which is really cool. Yeah. Amazing. So just to end things. So I'm sure there are like a lot of people out there, uh, you know, like be it in wine or not, who want to sort of pursue their passion, right? This is something that they want to do. Uh, what sort of advice would you have to those kinds of people, right? Just looking to maybe like do something on their own. They have this idea in the back of their mind, I know for a very long time saying this is sort of what I want to do. Do you have any sort of, uh, you know, like advice for them or any stories that you can tell them to help sort of inspire them? Yeah, um, well, you, you mentioned passion and it's funny that I always quote my dad whenever I'm like doing stuff like this. Um, but he he implored me throughout my whole childhood and adulthood and everything, like find your passion, and then everything else will kind mm -hmm. of like fall into place. And I used to like roll my eyes at him, but it's sort of like this guiding force. And I still question what I'm doing every day, but for me, it's just 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 do it. Sit down and just just go and then like everything will sort of just like make sense because if you approach it as though it's Mount Everest, yeah. you're always gonna find an excuse to not start, mm -hmm. right? Um, so just start small um, and something that really helped me was reaching out to people who were maybe more advanced or established and I would just approach them and ask if I could take them for a glass of wine or a coffee, um, information interviews I called yeah. them. I did this like years ago, like 15 years ago and I don't think I encountered one person that said no. Wow. Um, and so this happens to me all the time now too. People approach me like, how did you 
how did you get where you are? Um, so yeah, don't be afraid to reach out to people and just put yourself out there. Um, you have to network, you have to attend a lot of like shitty like networking events where it's like, ugh, it's like so much small talk and it sucks, but like you might come away with meeting one person that yeah. was like really impactful. Um, finding business mentors is really helpful. Mm -hmm. I had this one for quite a number of years. We go for lunch once a month and I lost touch with her and then I actually ended up running into her in Vancouver when I was doing my symposium and I hadn't seen her in like 10 years and wow. it was so amazing to see her and like I could see the like pride in her eyes that she was like, wow, like look at what you've blossomed yes. into. Um, and just realize that like, and I mean, I'm at the beginning of my journey too. Mm -hmm. Like I lie in bed most nights. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> Sorry, am I allowed to swear? Oh, Sorry. Of course. <laughs> okay. Um, I went like this whole time without saying like, um, just adjusting and learning and if it doesn't work, get rid of it and yeah. like pivot. Like, I mean, I know everybody hates hearing that word now, yeah. but like, don't be afraid to just like, what was that? I heard this saying this one time where I sat down with a guy who um, I asked to critique my writing. He was like, don't be afraid to murder your children. Like if something's not working, just get rid right. of it. And I feel like we hold on to these ideas even if they're not working for whatever reason, it's like a pride or an ego thing. Um, and just, you have to be constantly like reevaluating and like you need a really healthy level of self-awareness mm -hmm. and be open to just taking critique. And like, I have these conversations almost daily with my partner. It's like, okay, hey, what are we, what's working, what's not? And like my one business partner, like we joke that he's autistic because he literally has no filter and he'll tell me, he'll be like, yeah, that sucked. And I'll wow. be like, oh. But I, I've almost come to like it because yes. he's not being around the bush. He's yeah. so ruthlessly honest with me, and I love it because it's, it's like built this really thick skin for me. Um, and just be yourself. Like, don't try and like wear this mask or like be something that you like. People, you think people want you to be. You know what I mean? Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, that was a lot, but no, that's really good. I think yeah. it's like really good advice. Yeah. Right. So. You know, thank you for doing this, right? Really thank appreciate you. it. It was an amazing story, to be honest oh. with you. Like, I was captivated, like, through the whole thing. Oh. Like, it, it felt, You're like, really nice, cool. I'm okay. not being nice. No, I think it's a really, <laughs> really good story. Right? So, for, for all you guys, if you want to, like, learn more about Laura, head to community. So, that's C-O-M-M-U-N-I-T-I dot app. And you can find Laura there, as well as some, uh, some other amazing hosts. So, we at Community are trying to be the place in Toronto for you to sort of learn and develop sort of and grow your hobbies. So check us out and let us know what you think. Uh, thanks for listening.